Welcome to the Racially Responsible Podcast, a show designed to call in, support, and provide loving accountability for white women and anti-racism work. If you have ever questioned your role and approach in this work or wondered how you can create an impact for racial equity and justice, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Rory Geller Muhammad, a white woman doing this work alongside you in real time with my family, local community, and institutions that I'm connected to. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker, the creator of the Changemakers program, and deeply committed to working for a safe, loving, and inclusive world. I'm so glad you're listening and joining me on this journey. Here we go. Real quick before we start, I want to officially invite you to a free workshop that I'm offering all about white people in diversity, equity, and inclusion work. We're going to be talking about how white people can avoid unintentionally causing racial harm and navigate challenges in DEI and anti-racism work in professional and personal spaces. Right? As white people, we want to be part of the solution, not the problem. And despite our hearts being in the right place, we often face challenges that impede our participation in this work and actual change from happening. So during this workshop, we're going to be digging into all of that and getting some tools on what to do, and when we talk about what you need to know to overcome the most common challenges for white people in DEI and anti-racism work, how to avoid unintentionally causing racial harm, and how to overcome the frustrations that come up that arise when we are deeply committed to wanting to be part of this change. I'm also going to show you the steps that you can take to be part of the solution and make an impact in your professional and personal spaces. The link is in the show notes. Sign up. It's a free workshop coming up February 16th. Welcome, friends. Today, I'm really excited to be able to welcome Alyssa Hall onto the show. Alyssa Hall is an inclusive business and leadership coach. She helps white coaches understand their role with anti-racism while creating inclusive businesses with her group coaching program, the School of Anti-Racist Leadership. She has also begun expanding her work in helping BIWAC, Black, Indigenous women of color, entrepreneurs stop people-pleasing and step into embracing their full selves in their business. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So glad you're here. Now, you do amazing things, and thank you for all the work that you're doing. I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about who you work with and what people, what kind of challenges people come to you with. Yeah, so mainly my work has been um, helping white coaches really understand what it means to have an inclusive business. Um, and really doing that by way of like anti-racism strategies and DEI strategies, um, because I feel like, you know, just, and you do this work too, but when people talk about anti-racism or inclusivity, um, it can, they can either make it mean something super, super simple, or they can make it mean something so huge that they get overwhelmed. And so I work with people on both ends of the spectrum. Um, sometimes I come to people, like come, people come to me <laughs> and they're like, okay, I just want to make sure I have um, more diverse clients. And I'm like, girl, that's like step 20. <laughs> like, right. that's not, we're not going to start off with that. But mostly my clients come to me because this is something that they have thought about for a really long time or even just this last year. And it's just a recurring thing for them. And every time something in the news happens or every time they hear about something, it just gets hit even harder. And a lot of times there's a lot of just shame and guilt underneath all of that. And so by the time they get to me, there's a lot of feelings there. And there's a lot of um, sometimes even a sense of urgency of just like, okay, well, I need to do this now because I haven't been doing anything all this time. And um, 
trying to figure out what that actually means for them in a way that's not overwhelming. I know that that's awesome. And I love how you kind of shared, you know, that it can be something where it's very, very, they may feel very, very overwhelmed or may see it like something as something can be smaller. So like, I think that's so, it's great to kind of like hear that spectrum, right? I know like that's kind of what we see, right? When the, with all of this work, um, when you talk, it's kind of like just coaches can be very general. Is there, for people who may not be as familiar with like the coaching industry or people who are maybe just starting a little bit more like what all types of coaches, what kind of maybe what is a coach type of thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's been really interesting. Um, the type of coaches that I've worked with have been on a wide spectrum. Like I've worked with career coaches and those are people who typically try to help people find jobs that they love or just shifting to a different role and enhancing those leadership um, aspects. And so in working with me, they're able to see, okay, so the women of color that come to me, they may be saying this and underneath it is all of this. And when they're going to an interview, there's all these other things that they may not have even thought to bring up with me because they don't think that I even understand. And being able to draw those connections allows that person to show up even more powerful in that interview. And even if the interview doesn't go well, just knowing that there's more for them. Um, so that's like one end of the spectrum. Another yes. end is like business coaches and even like their strategies and making sure that we're not um, blocking people out from being able to work with us and really auditing the strategies that we're teaching our clients um, to make sure that they are also creating inclusive strategies within their businesses. Thank you. I love that. And thank you just for kind of just breaking that down. I think that that's awesome. Just kind of yeah. spell it out. <laughs> I love yes. that. Thank you. <laughs> How did you first get involved with this work? Yeah, it, it's so, it, it's actually quite random. Like this work really just like fell on top of me. Um, I started coaching um, about three and a half ish years ago now. And when I went into the coaching world, I was like, I know what I want to do. I want to be a career transition coach. I'm going to help people who hate their jobs and get into the job of their dreams and really working on the mindset aspect of all that. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. And I had my first client and I was so bored by it. (laughs) (laughs) This is not what I want to do. Um, And I realized I loved hearing her talk about her at home life and her mom life. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to be a life coach for moms because there's, again, a lot of mindset stuff in regards to how we show up as a mom um, and a lot of the shame and guilt that we put upon ourselves by trying to meet society standards of being a mom. And so I was doing that for about a year and then June 2020 hit and the George Floyd murder happened. And as a woman of color, uh, when it happened, it just felt like, okay, this is just another one. It didn't feel like anything big per se, which is really, it sucks to say, cause we were, I feel like a lot of us were all like desensitized by that point, right? It's just yeah. happening over and over. And so then seeing everyone else react to it, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> okay. This is becoming even bigger, right? And right. So not only just seeing everyone react to it, but seeing the online coaching space, um, the way that I describe it, um, and this may be a reference that not everyone will get, but (laughs) 
<laughs> there's this scene in the movie Mean Girls um, where the school bully, she's like standing at the top of the staircase and she's just like standing there like feeling super satisfied, hands crossed. And yeah. the entire school is just running around in chaos. There's papers flying everywhere. Like it's this whole chaotic moment and she's just standing there because she essentially caused the chaos. But that's what it felt like being in the online coaching space. I'm just standing there and I'm like, are y'all okay? And everyone's running, flailing about because they don't know how to respond as a person. And they even less so know how to respond as a business. And I was just like, oh, I thought this was all common knowledge. I didn't realize that we were so... I guess behind is, is the best word to describe it. Right. And so I just started talking about, it. I'm just like, hey, listen, if you want to talk to people about this, this is what you should say. This is how you should talk to your family. This is how you should talk to your clients. And I was so into that. And it was filling me up so much that the mom coaching, it felt frivolous. And that's not to say anything about anyone else who does right. that because it's important. Right. Um, but at the time I was like, I don't care about this anymore. I literally don't care. And both my, my business coach and my therapist, literally that same week, were just like, you know, why don't you just change your niche to that? And I'm like, what? Change my niche? What do you mean? <laughs> I finally got my website up. What do you mean? <laughs> and I did. And that's, that's really how I started doing it. It's been super, super fulfilling. And I've been sort of shifting exactly how I've been doing that work. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's how it all started. That That's amazing. And so glad that you're doing what you're doing now. And that's awesome, you know, to hear just, you know, that shift within your side yourself, right. Of like your yeah. purpose in so many ways. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I wanted to ask also, how has your own, if, how has your own background, racial, ethnic, cultural played a part if so, and how in your work today? Ooh, oh my gosh. I feel like you're asking me that question at the perfect time. Um, <laughs> Cause I've been doing a lot of thinking about it. And, um, so this actually kind of goes back to, um, June, 2020 and, not just only seeing again, like how people were reacting, but also the protests and how people were reacting to the protests. Um, because I'm African-American, but I'm also Cuban and my mom was divorced. So most of the time I was with my Cuban mother. I'd see my dad every other weekend, you know, the typical nineties divorced. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like a lot of the the way that I see the world has been shaped by her. And so in uh, the Hispanic, well, let me use the proper term, in the Latina community, um, it is, there's a lot of um, colorism and just a lot of problematicness within that. And so this work throughout this last like year and a half has really had me seeing like, the way that I've seen the world compared to what it actually is. And so those protests for me was like really shifting the way that I realized how I have been moving in the world and how the world has been reacting to me. Because I had always been raised with the idea of just like, oh, well, as long as you are not doing X, Y, and Z, then you're fine. 
And as long as you don't quote unquote fit the description, then you're fine. And what those protests showed me was that that's actually a lie, <laughs> that as long as I just show up with my skin the way that it is, then I still will somehow quote unquote fit the description. And so I realized that I had been really, I don't want to say like hiding myself. That feels a little weird, but I feel like I've been wearing like a bunch of layers yeah. and not allowing myself to step into the things that I really wanted to, right? Like I had memories of like going to my dad's house for the weekend and just hanging out with my friends and my cousins, living my best life, being very happy and feeling like I belonged and feeling great. And then coming back home Sunday night and I would be speaking in African-American vernacular English. And my mom would, I'd be like, tell my mom a story. And right. then she would like stop me in the middle of me speaking and tell me to like say it properly or to say things in a different way. And I've had moments like that my entire life where I'm like, oh, I wanna do this. And it's like, no, don't do that. That's not, that's proper. Or you, you look ghetto or that looks ghetto or whatever that is. And being ghetto means fitting the description means you're going to be held back because people are gonna put you in this box. And so what all of that did for me was realize, wait a minute, that was all a lie. <laughs> like yeah. I am in just as much, um, I guess, danger as everyone else, regardless right. of how I speak or how I present myself. And that's really taken me on a journey of just doing the things that I have been holding myself back from doing um, from for fear of not being able to um, achieve my goals or just be in the rooms that I want to be in. And so what that has done up until now is I've been able to start seeing how a lot of us have been socialized and brought up in this way of just, you have to act this certain way, you have to be in this certain box. And if not, then the majority culture isn't going to accept you. And then you aren't going to get your success, whatever that looks like for you. That was a really long thing. I hope yeah. that makes no, sense. no, that definitely makes sense. And I, and I appreciate you sharing that too, especially, you know, something so personal because, and it also speaks to like this, like the multicultural identity piece, mm -hmm. right. Of having to hold those parts of it and all of that. And, and even like how different aspects, I think of like consciousness of like our awareness around things can, it doesn't, it can happen at different times in our life. I know yeah. it's has to talk about like, like racial identity development and the socialization piece of all of that and the cultural development, right? So just the recognizing of different ways we're personally feeling stuff and goes going through it at different times. Another piece that I, I wanted to ask, just because you had shared, if you have any additional thoughts, I know there's conversations. I know you're only one person to, obviously you can't speak for an entire group um, on this topic. Yeah. But I'm curious on your specific thoughts, um, if you're open to sharing. When we talk about um, the Latino community, I know you used um, Latin A, I know we've heard Latin X, Latino, yes. Latina. Do you have any thoughts on, or like what your personal preference and any thoughts in general? Yeah. So <laughs> I recently had this conversation with a client too. And um, it's interesting because I had heard the term Latin, like to describe the community, like early on in my life. And I was just like, 
why are we called Latin? I don't speak that language. I don't speak Latin. What is this? (laughs) I was really annoyed and confused. And so whenever I would describe myself to someone, I would say I'm Hispanic. If I'm describing myself in English, I'd say I'm Hispanic. Um, But if I'm talking to someone in Spanish, then I'd say, oh, I'm Latina. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And now with all of the, the language shifting, it makes sense in a way to, you know, be more inclusive. And then I also learned that Hispanic actually um, includes Spain, but it doesn't include Brazil. But Latina, Latino, Latine, that uh, does not include Spain, but it does include Brazil. And I'm like, okay, got it. I can, I can be on board with that. Um, but with the English Latinx, what that did is it brings more inclusivity so that we don't have to describe someone by a gender, right? But at the same time, we used a word in English that doesn't actually translate to the people that are dis- that we are describing. And mm-hmm. so like, that's the thing where <laughs> it's like that I can understand the annoyance and the frustration because it's it really speaks a lot to the U.S.'s like I'm gonna save everybody mentality yeah of just like we know what's right for everyone we're gonna do it and it's like y'all literally use a word that we can't even say so we Mm -hmm. had to figure out a way to say it so now to say it in Spanish it's Latin Latine and it's like instead of ending with an X it would end with an E so that you can pronounce it properly because X in Spanish is X and you can't, it doesn't right. have a hard sound like it does in English. Right. So yeah, th- those are my thoughts. I'm like I understand it, but it is very annoying the way that it was brought up. I'm glad right. that there's now a way to say it in Spanish, but yeah. Right. And has the gender inclusivity piece of it still, but yeah. Right. I, I, yeah. So thank you, because I think that's something that we're always kind of having to grow and learn about is language mm-hmm. and that people themselves have to have the language to be like describe, right? We other people shouldn't be ascribing language to people. People should be choosing the language they're using to describe themselves. (laughs) Exactly. And like when I spoke about it with one of my clients, the thing that I mentioned to them was, you know, because we've all been brought up to describe ourselves in a specific way, just following whatever it is that that person decides to describe themselves and not feeling the need to correct them or challenge them on whatever it is that they decide to describe themselves. Right, right. Oh, thank you. I appreciate having that conversation with you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now back to the work part of it. I mean, it's all, all concluded. Yeah. But the, the leadership piece of it, um, what leadership skills do you feel are helpful um, for people doing this work? What have you learned along the way that you found helpful um, that people should work on, could work on developing? Yes, I feel like the most important thing, if I'm going to be honest with you, is being clear on our values and deciding to make decisions from those values. And that is it. Um, That's the biggest piece that I feel like a lot of us are missing when we're deciding to make decisions in our business and in our life 
Um, because so many people that I have spoken to and even just engaged with online have just been saying like, this has always been important to me. This is important to me. It's not like I just found out that it was important to me. Right. Then you see the decisions that they're making in their business and it's literally harming the specific people that they want to help. And it's because when we make decisions from our business, a lot of times we aren't making it from our values. Um, a lot of times we're making it to like satisfy a need, right? And sometimes the need is I need to make money tomorrow because my bills are due, right? Another time, a need that I hear a lot um, is like, I need to make sure my business is growing. Therefore, I'm going to set these goals and those goals will allow me to feel like my business is growing. And now I need to make decisions to make sure those goals happen. So the big one that I see all the time, and I use this example all the time, of just like the lack of payment plans. And a lot of people literally don't have them specifically for the purpose of, I need to make this goal so yeah. that I can feel like my business is moving forward and I don't feel like a failure. And it's like, okay, so that means you're responding from your feeling of potentially being a failure compared to responding from your value of inclusivity and anti-racism. Yeah, no, that's, I appreciate you sharing that. That's such a, and such a good example too, of the way that that mm -hmm. can play out and the way that that looks. Right, right. Definitely. What um, challenges, Benny, have you experienced doing this work? I feel like the biggest challenge that I have honestly experienced is like trying... <laughs> I tell everyone this too like I know we like this is just a problematic thing but like I have a very deep trying to save everybody mentality as well and I like, <laughs> I notice when it's there and sometimes I don't realize it until after I make a decision or after I have this quote-unquote really good idea right, right. Like, I'm like oh, okay so now I've decided to like audit myself on it but that's been the most challenging thing because I have gotten into engagements with clients who really weren't a good fit for me, but I was just like, I'm supposed to be doing this work, even though this person is going to be a challenging client and I may not feel like I'm ready for it. I'm still going to do it anyway, because they chose to come to me. And if they don't go with me, then they're never going to do this work. And I had to just come to terms with the fact that even if that is true, I need to be mindful of my own mental health um, because a lot of times when I do make these decisions of mm -hmm. let me save everyone, I never think about myself mm -hmm. and how I'm going to be reacting to it. So whether it be working with a client who every single call, it's literally just us practically arguing back and forth about the world right. or whether it be, um, trying to move and shift things in my life for the purpose of doing something for someone else and not thinking about how I'm going to even be able to exist with those things in place. Um, so that's been the hardest thing for me doing this work. Yeah, no, I, I love and appreciate you know, sharing that. And I think, right, engaging, where do we kind of engage? Who are we, who are we engaging at? And what level, what is their awareness, their consciousness? And how different some of the interventions and engagement strategies really need to be for someone who's kind of has an awareness versus someone who is maybe at a completely, I know, different sort of end of the spectrum at that point. 
Um, so I appreciate you kind of you pointing that out because it's definitely definitely important. What has been um, some, what have you seen, like from the work you've done with clients, what have been seen some of like the great outcomes you've seen or some of the, um, the, the changes that have happened later on? Yeah, I, I feel like the biggest changes that I have seen with my clients have been how they are now interacting with their clients and the way that they are now able to more deeply support their clients like that for me is just like okay i'm clocking out we're done <laughs> like i can retire <laughs> now like that has been that always just makes me feel so incredibly happy because i know that sometimes uh, these changes aren't even easy to make and even when it comes to connecting the dots of things so i have this one client um, and I always use her as an example, <laughs> but she, um, we were working together. She's a career coach. And, um, one of the things that I have my clients do is because a lot of my clients, they come to me and they're like, oh, I just don't understand. I don't know. And they can really bog themselves down with this feeling of not knowing anything. And I'm in my head, I'm like, you know, more than you think you do, but it's, it's, it's okay. We're, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that point. <laughs> but one of the things I have my clients do is read books, watch movies from the point of view of people that are not like them, right? Because we can really get stuck in reading how to be an anti-racist and reading white fragility, which is fine. But we also need to understand just what the people are going through and how that actually affects them in their day-to-day -day life. And this one client, she loves wa um, watching rom-coms. So <laughs> she watched a bunch of Black rom-coms and then after watching it, she would like reflect on it. And then after like watching a few, she was like, you know, I'm noticing there's a theme surrounding hair. Nearly every single one of the rom-coms that I watched, there was always like a pivotal point or like a side plot point um, and it involved hair. And then she started looking it up and she realized what, like how political <laughs> hair black hair is and how that can then relate to her clients and how they show up for an interview so if they have natural hair and they want to keep their hair the way that it is how that's going to have them show up in their interview and how they're going to feel in the interview and that then had her realize the type of support that she needs to offer them so that they are still feeling strong and powerful in that interview regardless of how she shows up. And I'm just like, that's it. Okay. We're clocking out the end. Like yeah. that's all I wanted. That is amazing. You know, what a transformation. And just, I love, like, I, what I love so much about that exercise is you're not, it, it's not requiring like people to actually do like to have a black person in their life to actually have to do that emotional labor and to tell them yes. their experience is re -go, go through all of any trauma that's come up. And I feel like that often is what happens in many, yep. in often those groups or when we're in, in spaces where we're having these conversations and white people are often not, maybe often unintentionally, I don't think intentionally, like, but right. kind of expecting, well, I'm going to just learn from this person that's here right now, as opposed to doing my own work. And that's such another, like, it's not like you have to just go read, like you were saying, let's say those other books aren't great, like um, How to Be an Anti-Racist or any of those books, but just to get an actual human, like lived ex different experiences yeah. from people, right? Even if it's the fiction, right? And it's 
that idea of it. So I, I think that's, that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that exercise too, because one of the things that I noticed with a lot of people, especially last year specifically, everyone was so overwhelmed. And I'm just like, you will not, don't ask me if I've read the 1619 project because I have it because it's boring and I will never get through it. And I know that about myself compared to what a lot of people were doing last year. They are forcing themselves through this laborious task that they would never do anyway, or watching these traumatic documentaries and then feeling terrible themselves And then never wanting to go back in compared to what is it that you already like to do? And how can we start learning from that? That just makes it so that you're always doing it instead of it being a chore. Yes. No, that that's so awesome. I thank you for sharing that with us. That's really, really cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an important point. Right. And then we talk about like engagement, like why are, how do we engage other people around like other white people, specifically white people, right. Into this work. Well, that's such a great way when we're feeling when people are well, it's there's resistance or then they're they're um, defensive, right? Like all of that. Right. Those are some great outlets too. Even where ta- you were talking about like where people when we were saying where people are sort of in their journey on this work in this work, right. and so even if they're further back and not there yet, what a great also I think that could work even for white people to connect with other white people in their life around those things. <laughs> yes, yes, that's uh, awesome. So, so this question is, you know, I know you mentioned a lot of times people come to you, like, will say, oh, I don't understand, or I don't know. And a lot of times you're telling, you're like, you were just saying they know more than sometimes they realize they know. So this question is also about kind of like this idea of normalizing self-doubt, right? I think a lot of times self-doubt is a common theme that could come up around this work, even for those of us who are, are, are very much involved in this work and doing this work and sort of leading in some ways doing this work. Have you ever had a moment of self-doubt when you were doing this work? Um, and if so, like, is there anything you share? And like, how did you, what did you do? How did you manage it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I have self-doubt all the damn time. And it really goes back to the conversation we were having regarding like my identity and just the multicultural identity, right? So being in between two cultures who people think are the same, they're actually really not the same. And at the same time, also being socialized or just brought up to like code switch as much as possible. So I always felt like I was just in the three little buckets always at the same time. So I have always, always had the thought of I'm not black enough. And I've always felt insecure about, um, how much Spanish I know I'm very fluent, but Sometimes if you don't speak a language for a long time, your tongue has to get used to it. And then I get annoyed when I have to do that. So I'm just like, my God, I can't even like speak Spanish like these people here. So I can't fit into that bucket. And so when I decided, okay, and I've always been called like an Oreo, like that has just been my my thing all throughout like middle school and high school. I never cared, but now that I'm doing it, I'm just like, damn. (laughs) I was internalized. <laughs> so now that I'm doing this work, I'm just like, I'm trying to help people in a way that I am seeing the problems through my filtered lens. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm not black enough. How do I know? Like, how, how do I know that this is actually helpful? Especially now with the work I'm trying to do 
with women of color, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm not black enough. They're not going to, they're, they're going to think that I don't know something or they're going to realize that I'm a fraud. I feel like such a fraud that that's, that's what comes up for me. Like a lot of imposter syndrome. Like I look like them, but I am not them. And I, I have to work to be like them. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun time in my head, <laughs> but the way that I really challenge that for myself is I then ask myself the opposite question, right? Because my brain loves to do the all or nothing situation. So when I see things that I don't know, I'm just like, oh, that's it. That that's proof. I'm nothing. But then I have to ask myself, okay, what do you, what do you know? What pieces of your experience do actually correlate? And that's when I had to realize, oh, even though I keep telling myself I'm not black enough, that's what the world sees me as. <laughs> There's no other thing for people to ever think that I am except for African-American. So the way that I've interacted with the world has been from that place, even if at the time I may have been a little bit too naive to really understand what was going on. Um, but a lot of my experiences are the experience of a black woman, even if in my brain, I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't know anything. And I have to always ask myself, okay, what do you know? And how are you able to take that knowledge and actually do something with that? And that's the main thing that I even try to empower with my clients. Like, okay, if you only know one thing, what is that one thing that you do know? And how does that relate to the work that you are currently doing? Or how does that relate to um, the way that you have structured your business? Because the knowledge that you can have, it can be about the specific group of people. It could be about society. It can be about patriarchy, it can be about racism, whatever. How can you take that one bit of information and do something with it? And that's when I've been able to I'm still not clearly not like hundred percent confident in um, feeling like I know all the things, um, but I'm really able to hone in on what I do know and make an impact with that. I so appreciate, you know, your honesty with all of that. And, and the reason like I think, and also that your answer, like so appreciate you sharing in your answer, because I think that there's often this bias where white people, that white people have unintentionally, where it's often common to think, well, black people, people of color don't have the self-doubt when they're doing this work, even when they're leading this work and that it's us and it's all like, we don't know what we're doing and we need to, and it's, a lot of times it's true. We don't always, right. We're not always going to know what we're doing, but I think part of it is we're not the only ones with the self-doubt. And that's why right. this, you know, part of figuring all of this out includes that piece of, of, of some of that, of challenging some discomfort in different spaces and like connecting more and not holding biases, I think around that and making those assumptions. <laughs> right. Right. Because the main thing is that like, when we feel like we don't know something, then we just make it mean something about ourselves. And it's just like, okay, well, I don't know this thing here. Therefore, that's it. And every single time another piece of information comes out or something gets shifted, we can get triggered of just like, oh my God, it's another thing I don't know. Then what else don't I know? Then that means I don't know anything. And that means I'm a bad person. And then we spiral and yes. it doesn't have to be like that. Yes. Well, thank you for everything you're doing with your work <laughs> because it's so important and so needed. <laughs> um, any advice? you have, well, I mean, I guess, I guess what you're saying, right. It doesn't have to spiral any additional advice on to help with that or, um, when that's coming up for people. Yeah. I, I feel like 
the way that I want us to look at new pieces of information is like thinking of it as like a toolbox, right? It's like, okay, now you have another thing to put in your little toolbox. That's all that it is. It doesn't mean anything about nothing about you has changed (laughs) from when you went to sleep last night to when you woke up this morning, nothing has changed. You just now have another tool. And if you're able to look at it that way as like, oh, I learned another piece of knowledge, not this is a reflection of how much I know, then you're able to continue moving forward. Awesome. Thank you. So this question's more around, I guess, like resilience in some ways. How do you stay hopeful, motivated, continuing to work for change, even when there's, you know, every day so much injustice, so much inequity? Um, like, how do you continue to maintain hope even when it's hard? Yeah, it's really interesting. I feel like resilient is a word that uh, pops up for me a lot um, just in my regular life. So when it comes to doing work like this, I feel like I'm, I'm able to just stay laser focused on the goal. I've always, always been like that. Like when I was in college, I was pre-med. And I had also gone through a traumatic event in college. So I had been like semester upon semester of just like really like shitty grades over and over and over again. And yet at the start of the new semester or towards the end of the the prior one where I'm seeing, okay, we're going to have a bunch of W's again and maybe a B like I still know, okay, I know that I'm intelligent. I just know that I went about this the wrong way in terms of maybe taking 18 credits when (laughs) (laughs) not necessary. Um, And I remember I would literally like look up, okay, this is what this is right now. And this is my goal. My goal is medical school. So what are ways that I can do that? So then I looked up like post-baccalaureate programs. Like I figured out like, okay, so this is what I'm looking towards. Okay. So that means that I would need this to get that. Okay. That's what I'm going to focus on. And I would not sit here and harp on what was already done. And even like when I gave birth to my daughter, I remember I had like literally just, they did the C-section. She was out of my body and I was just crying. And I go to the doctor and I'm like, do you still think I could be a doctor? Like, I'm just like, I am so, when I have a goal or when I have a thing that I want to make real, I stumble a lot, but I'm still like, okay, these are the facts. This is what I need. This is what we're going to do. And so I feel like I've taken that same exact thing now into the work that I'm doing where I see what's out there. I see what's going on. I'm not going to dwell in that because those are just things that are happening right now. Those are facts, right? And those facts are just going to continue to be there. It's like if I were to pull up my transcript every single day and just stare at it to just remind myself of it, it's not going to change. So instead I have to focus on what I have already laid out as my blueprint to make that change and just focus on that. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. No, that that's love that kind of just hearing. It's always awesome to hear like how mm. people kind of do that, like what that looks like. And it's awesome that you're, you know, you're doing what you're doing. Before we finish, I always like to ask if there's anything else you want to add, any additional advice, recommendations, suggestions you might have. 
Yeah, I feel like the big thing that I would love for people to do is just get super clear on your values, get super clear on what's important to you, get super clear on why you're doing whatever it is that you're trying to do and see, are you moving in alignment with that? And um, I feel like that, that can be one important way to start just auditing yourself and the work that you're doing and just whatever it is that you're doing in your life. And it doesn't even have to be large scale values, right? It can be something like respect. And are you in a position where you are being treated with respect? Are you at a job that is respecting you? Are you in relationships with people that are respecting you? If not, then you're not aligning with your values. You're trying to satisfy a need and really get clear on where that dissonance is and how you can get back to what is important to you. Um, I feel like that is just like the biggest thing for us to be able to actually make change or just exist in the world in the way that we actually want to. That's great advice. How can people uh, connect with you if they, you know, afterwards work with you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? And of course I'll post the links. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I'm very active on Instagram. Uh, My Instagram handle is at AR leadership. Um, That's like the best way to find me and also find like updated stuff. I obviously have my website, um, but I got my website done a year and a half ago and I don't, I don't love it. Um, But yeah, that's, that's the best way. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so, so much for taking the time today and having this amazing conversation. It's been awesome having you on, Alyssa. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Now it's time for you to reflect, decide what your next steps are, and start taking action. For additional support, join our mailing list and be the first to get access to new resources, workshops, and upcoming events. The link is in the show notes. Until next time.